Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. When Gary was leading us in, uh, I sing because I'm happy. There was a message that registered from my brain to my face that said, you need to show what you're singing. So uh, I don't think I had been doing that to that point. It wasn't because I wasn't thrilled to be here, but, you know, the face just wasn't showing it. And so I started smiling then. Gary, thank you for reminding us. And when Kay sings about the resurrection, uh, surely we know that it's a time to smile. We're grateful to God, and I'm glad to see you on this beautiful Lord's Day. Open your Bibles to James, the fourth chapter. The book of James, the fourth chapter. As we continue our series in the epistle of James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote this incredible epistle, we have already made our way now to chapter 4. We'll soon be done with the book of James. Its uh, message is entitled, or the, the theme is entitled, A Faith That Works. And two weeks ago, today, we were in the latter part of chapter 3, talking about the wisdom we need, the wisdom we so desperately need, and then today we're going to talk about tough words from the God of grace. Have you noticed how James just really struggles at being direct? He just can't seem to get it to come out the way he wants it to come out. And that's tongue-in-cheek, of course. James is very direct and very blunt from beginning to end. And yet he reminds us in the text that we'll read in a moment that we have a God of grace, and I am so thankful for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we find that it is possible to use mercy and shape up in the same sentence. And that's basically what James is saying in this text. Remember the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and now shape up and do what I'm telling you to do in this text. And so we're going to see those words now. We're going to ask you to stand one more time. Our tradition at First Baptist is to stand in the reading of God's Word, 12 verses, chapter 4. Here we go. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. There's that word. Grace. God's unmerited favor. He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says... God opposes the proud, but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. 
Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble your hearts before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge. It's not me and not you. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you who are you to judge your neighbor. And with all of that rolling around in our minds, you may be seated. And let's talk about this text for a few minutes. You read the text and we're reminded Christians aren't perfect people, are we? We are sinners saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we aren't perfect people. And James is really blunt. Uh, he talks about the God of grace, and we say praise the Lord for that. It means we aren't saved and cannot be saved by our good works or by our good behavior. We're sinners, every single one of us, saved by great grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone. But James does have some strong words for us. So I've broken down the text into three parts. And the first part is the problem is stated. Verses 1 through 6 and then verse 11 and 12 clearly state the problem for us. So the problem is stated and there are six problems that James talks about. So number one has six points and quickly they are. First of all, fights and quarrels among us. Look again at verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among us? What? You mean believers do not always get along? Husbands and wives don't always get along? Parents and children don't always get along? Brothers and sisters don't always get along? Church members and church members don't always get along? In uh, a church that I pastored previously, which would have been many years ago, obviously, I had uh, I had two deacons who had fallen out with one another at odds with one another and for the life of me I don't know what about because when I got there it had already happened and I'm sure somebody told me somewhere along the line but it was so significant I've forgotten it and they would not speak to each other they would not acknowledge one another it's a smaller church so a smaller deacon body made it more obvious more you know everybody knew it everybody in town knew it They would not speak to each other. And I always found it fascinating when they would, uh, when the, when the deacons would come to the front to take the offering. You know, that's the way we do it now. Guys come come forward later. Well, they'd do it at the first, we'd do it at the first of the service there. So we're just about ready to start the service and here come the deacons processing in. I always found it to be fascinating. When one of those deacons would come down this aisle and the other one down that aisle and they would turn and walk toward each other and suddenly the realization came over to, over them, I'm going to have to stand next to him this morning. And you could see it on their faces that it just it ruined their day, that they were going to have to stand next to each other, would not acknowledge each other, would not speak to one another. And, and, and ironically enough, because they were in the same pew, they would end up handing the, the offering plate. It would end up down on the other end. And, you know, I touched the offering plate that he touched and, and that, that kind of deal. It, it was sad. 
I approached one of them. Um, I was young and ignorant, so I approached one of them in hopes that their pastor could solve the issue. I was told within 10 seconds that my my advice was not needed nor wanted and that I could just get up and leave. And so I didn't accomplish anything. And so one of those men died while I was still pastor. And the other one, I think, still lives. If they really are Christians, that's making a big assumption, but if they really are Christians, what what's going to happen in heaven? Are, are they not going to speak to each other? Well, James is talking about quarrels. Somebody has written these words, and I never heard this before. Bitterness is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Now think about that. Yeah, that's true. There's no one on earth who has not been wronged at some time in their lives. Happened to all of us. Everyone has a story to tell. Everyone's been hurt by somebody. The pain you've suffered does not make you special. It's what you do with the pain that sets you apart. And the old saying is, life can make you bitter or it can make you better. And bitter and better are spelled exactly the same except the second letter. One is an I and the other is an E. And you decide bitter or better. And James says, fights and quarrels are among us and that should not be the, the the second part of the problem is identified as self-centered prayers look at verses two and three and especially verse three when you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures i think verses two and three would be worth an entire sermon at some point but not today what could be sadder than self-centered prayers And so that's what James is talking about. The problem is stated. Fights and quarrels among you. Self-centered prayers. Thirdly, worldliness. Verse 4. You adulterous people. My goodness, James actually said that about people who supposedly know the Lord. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. What does he mean, a friend of the world? Aren't we supposed to reach out to people? Of course we are. But what he is talking about here is a loss of our distinctiveness, a, a, a willingness to accommodate with the beliefs and the practices of the world to the point where we lose our distinctiveness as followers of Christ. And James lashes out and says, you adulterous people, yikes. He's serious, isn't he? Be like the world. Compromise in order to get along. And we face that temptation so strongly today. A.W. Tozer wrote these words. So I want you to let it roll around in your mind and maybe take it home and think about it over lunch. But, But listen to what Tozer said. In every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne, and the Christian is on the throne until he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. 
Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among believers today. We want to be saved, but insist that Christ do all the dying. Now, I had to read that four times. That was number five. And I'm still getting my arms around that. But I think he nailed it on the head in regard to worldliness. Now, the, the, the fourth problem is pride, verses, verses 5 and 6. He's describing a person who is simply filled with himself, a prideful person who basically is saying, I have no ongoing need for Christ. I have no ongoing need for Christ. Oh, I prayed a prayer when I was 10 years old. And I got baptized by Pastor Andy in the baptistry over here or over there or somewhere. But I have no ongoing need for Christ. I'm simply self-sufficient and filled with myself. And James says that is a problem. He identifies it as one of the major problems, that of, of pride. And then the, 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 the fifth thing, and if I said six, I meant five, The fifth thing is a critical judgmental spirit. Now, leap up to verse 11 and 12. And and you see a clear description in those two lengthy verses of a critical judgmental spirit. Now, most churches have a few people who view that as their spiritual giftedness in spite of the fact that the Scripture never lists a judgmental, judgmental critical spirit as a gift of the Spirit. But some see themselves that way. Now, they didn't come today. You know, they're not here, so don't be looking around. But he says there is a, a problem is a critical judgmental spirit. So it doesn't take James long to state the problem that early believers were facing and that we're still facing Fights and quarrels among us, self-centered praying, worldliness, pride, and a critical judgmental spirit. So that takes us to the second thing of the morning, and that is the results are obvious. The results are obvious. And woven throughout all of the 12 verses here are the results of the problems identified by James. And quickly, without elaboration... They are, number one, believers at odds with one another. Believers at odds with one another. Now, I want to tell you, I love this church. I can't say that often enough. And in the history that spans 30 years for me, 20 years of my predecessor who is seated in this room this morning, the history of this church is one of love for one another that is abs- absolutely, I hate to say this, not the norm. I- I'm sorry, it's not. I am so thankful for the love that you show for one another, the respect that you show for one another. Now, am I saying there never been any quarrels here? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that there, there, is, a, there is something extraordinary in my estimation about the people of God known as First Baptist Belton. Now, if if that were not so, 
I would not be saying it, first of all, because I wouldn't lie. But second of all, I don't need to say that. I don't have to say that if it's not true. And it is true. But if you've ever been in a church where God's people are intensely at odds with one another, you can walk in as a guest not knowing anything and you will feel it the second you walk in the door. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So, so James says the results of the problems are believers at odds with one another. Second problem, the result of the problem, it causes shameful actions. And he weaves that through the 12 verses. I have said this many times and I'll stand by it till I die. I believe that I and all of us are capable of doing almost anything if we do not guard our walk with Jesus. So don't think you've reached a point where you can ignore your walk with Jesus and and there won't be bad results. There will be. We are capable of doing almost anything. And what we see James talking about is people who have chosen poorly and their actions are bringing shame on the, on the church. The third result is broken fellowship with God and one another. Broken fellowship with God and one another. And if you've ever been there, you don't want to be there again. I know you don't want to be there again. That's why you're here today. You don't want to be there again with a broken fellowship. Not a broken relationship, but a broken fellowship with God and one another. The fourth result is a destroyed witness. Just listen to people outside the body of Christ and the way they often choose to talk about those who are part of the body of Christ. I grow weary of hearing the words like hypocrites and blah, 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 blah. But unfortunately, sometimes those criticisms ring, ring true. And, and James would remind us that the results of the problems he's talked about would be a destroyed witness. Another result would be unanswered prayer, which he clearly states in the text. And Peter clearly states in first Peter chapter three and verse seven, when he speaks to husbands, He says, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Clearly here and in many places, the scripture tells us that the result of problems in our hearts will be unanswered prayer. Another result is a lack of spiritual maturity. A lack of spiritual maturity. It is sad to see someone who has known Jesus for decades and yet continues to live in spiritual immaturity. And finally, the last result is a progressive compromise that we see in verses 11 and 12, a progressive compromise that results in a lost distinctiveness. 
In other words, people look at us and we don't look any different than the world. When we reach that point, we are in deep water, spiritually speaking. So James is able to clearly state the problems and he's clearly able to state the results. The results are obvious, but the third and last thing is that he gives a solution. I always love it when someone presents <clears throat> presents a problem and then offers a solution. It means they prayed it through and they thought it through, and I'm grateful for that. James offers a solution in verse, he does that verses 7 through 10. But in verse 6, he reminds us that the grace needed for the solution comes from God. The grace needed for the solution comes from God. And then in verses 7 through 10, it's almost, if you notice the way he writes it, it's like staccato. It's almost like military command. Just pop, 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 pop. Hup, two, three, four. Hup, two, three, four. That's really sort of the way he writes in verses 7 through 10. I mean, it's like, here we go with this. Here we go with that. Pay attention to what I'm saying. I'm only going to say it once. You ever have a teacher who did that? James is doing that. Verses 7 through 10. So here's what he says. Here's a solution. I love the solution. First of all, he says, submit to God. Verse 7, notice how he says it. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. On the basis of all that I've laid out, of the, of, uh, of the problems I've stated and the results that are obvious, then submit then to God. <clears throat> for some, God is for Sunday then I'm in control Monday through Saturday. James says, let go of your pride. Quit fighting God. You are not going to win. You are not strong enough. You are not going to win. Therefore, say to God, okay, God, I submit. I will relax in you and submission means obedience. Submit to God. You will not win if you continue to fight Him. The Bible will be our guide and obedience will be the result of submission to God. I, I referred to Peter. Let me refer to him again. He says in the fifth chapter of his first epistle, humble yourselves, therefore, into God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Almost sounds like he and James collaborated on their two epistles. Peter goes on to say, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Some of you came in anxious this morning. Hear that well. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, James is saying, 
Here's the solution. Submit to God. You ever, when, when you were small, did you have an older sibling who liked to pick on you and when you would wrestle with him, um, he's bigger, he's stronger. You're never going to, you're never going to beat him. At least not till you get to be adults. You're never going to beat him and you'd give it all you got. And he would say, submit, give up calf rope, cry uncle, whatever it was. And you kept fighting and there was no way you're going to win. He's bigger. He's stronger. So go ahead and submit. And you say, my pride won't let me do that. <laughs> That's exactly what James is saying. Our pride causes us to say, no, I will not submit. God says, submit to me and obey me. Okay. The solution is given. Submit to God. Here's the second solution. Resist the devil. Do you notice the direct promise? Resist the devil and what will happen? Is the devil omnipotent? Think, is the devil omnipotent? Is he? No! Don't give him credit. He is not omnipotent. If he were, your resisting him wouldn't do a bit of good. But it does. He is not omnipotent. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Direct promise. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Who's in you? The Holy Spirit. So we resist the devil. That causes us to think, are there places I need to avoid? Are there thoughts that I need to shut out of my life? Are there people I need to be careful around? Resist the devil. Say no to him. Third solution, come near to God. Look at verse 8. Come near to God. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Another direct promise. Come near to God. We are assured of a response. He desires an intimate walk with you and with me. Remember that Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening had an intimate walk with God in the Garden of Eden until one day they hid from him. Why did they hide? Because they had sinned and they were ashamed. And they hid. And yet we know God loves every one of us. And he desires so much an intimate walk with you and with me. And maybe you are thinking where you're seated this morning. I, re I remember what that was like. I remember that intimate walk with Jesus. Because it used to be so real in my life. But it isn't anymore. Well, what happened? Well, Jesus did not go on vacation. You were the one who moved. And so James says, come near to God. And the intimacy of that relationship can be rekindled and renewed. Come near to God. Then he says, purify your heart. Look, look at verse 8 again. The second part of the verse. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I'm reminded of what the psalmist wrote in the 24th Psalm. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? 
the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Purify your heart. What does that mean? It just means this. Language we can understand. Confess your sin. Turn away from your sin. And guard the door of your heart. Confess your sin. Turn away from your sin. And guard the door of your heart. And then James says. As a solution. Be serious. About sin. You see verse 9. Grieve. Mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy and your and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Be serious about sin. No, I've been in the ministry now forty six years. I wish I could say I started at 10, but you know better. One of, the, one of the enormous differences I notice in today as opposed to when I started, when God called me in 1973, is the way people regard sin. And I know people get tired of talking about the old days, but, but, but I call that the old days. It is for me anyway. Most people knew. They realized, yet yeah, I know I'm a sinner. That didn't mean all of them were willing to turn away from their sin. Didn't mean all of them were willing to repent and give their hearts to Jesus. But you didn't find many people who were denying the fact that they were sinners. Well, it's a big change to today. When most folks outside of Christ don't want to be reminded, don't agree, don't believe that they are sinners in need of a Savior. Our lives are to be marked by joy. Jesus said, I'm coming that you might have life and you might have it to the full or have it more abundantly, but there is no joy until there is sorrow, until sin has been confronted, confessed, and turned away from. So don't be light or flippant about sin. And we need to learn to treat our own sin more seriously than we treat the sins of well-known people. And finally... James says, humble yourself, verse 10, humble yourself. And and what does he say? I will will lift you up. God, you have the right to tell me what to do. So I humble myself before you. Now, I want to end with this. I want this to be the last thing that you think about this morning. When the text says, humble yourself and I will lift you up, I guess for a long time I thought what that meant was, well, God is going to lift us up high and lofty. That's not what it means. You know what it means? It means God reaches down and takes your face, your downtrodden face that is weeping because of your sin, that is confessing your sin, and God reaches down and He takes your face and He turns it up. He lifts you up so that your face is looking into his face. And when he lifts your face up, he says, I love you. I hear your prayer of confession. I see your tears 
of repentance. I love you. You are my child. That's what it means when he says, I will lift you up. I want you to leave today remembering that. Don't ever, ever, ever forget it. Maybe you remember doing that with your own children when they were weeping and confessing and you took their little faces and you lifted them up and you said, Mama loves you, Daddy loves you, and I, and I forgive you. And that's what God is doing. He's lifting our faces up and He's saying, You've humbled yourself before me. I love you. You're my child. I forgive you. Walk with me in the cool of the evening. Bow with me, please, for prayer. In a moment, Brother Gary will lead us in a song of invitation that we offer every Sunday because we know that in a room with this many people, there's someone who needs Jesus. And if that person is you, and the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart right now, wooing, calling, drawing, I invite you to get up from your seat Come and place your hand in mine and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. And a member of our staff will be here to open God's word, to share with you, to pray with you that this day you can come into a personal saving relationship with Jesus. For those in this room, and that would be the vast majority, who have already made that decision. Do the words of James resonate? with your heart today or is there action that you need to take on what we've read in the text if so will you do serious business with God this morning so father I pray that you will have your will your way in every heart here this morning and that if there's one two three four or five here who do not yet know Jesus that you will draw them irresistibly to yourself this morning, that they might come to know you as Savior and Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to call the church at 254-939-0705 if you need prayer or if you need to talk with someone. We're here to listen, help, and encourage.